Hi, my name is Isabella Johnston, and I'm the Intern Whisperer. And today's tip of the week is about the predictions about the pace technology is advancing. The technology industry is expected to exceed $5.3 trillion in 2022. So how is that impacting job growth and opportunities? Well, for starters, 89.7% of big data has been generated within the last two years, COVID people. That is where more data than ever has been being accumulated. How fast is AI growing? Well, it's predicted that by 2025, the data center spending on AI processors will grow by over 4x, four times the amount that it is currently expected. AI marketing is forecasted to hit now $89.8 billion. Cloud solutions, we're all using them if you're a SaaS product or you're storing anything in the cloud, is expected to increase. 69.2% of spending for tech is forecasted to be spent on cloud solutions. What does all of this mean? Educators, HR professionals, company forecasts, we all need to keep an eye on these types of trends in technology and how it is impacting our future of work, our job growth, and what is going on in our industries. So I want to welcome Jack Hinkle to the Intern Whisper Show. And Jack works over at Florida High Tech Corridor, and he's a part of the Synfluence program. And how I met Jack is through UCF. And Jack is an amazing person that's all into games, into VR, AR, definitely one of these people that I consider, I don't know, you're not going to say this probably, but I think he's a futurist because he's exposed to all of this information all of the time in all of these companies because of what he does. So Jack, welcome to our show. Yeah, thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah. Um, so typically I kick it off so that our guests will lo- learn a little bit about you based on five words that you use to describe yourself and why those five words? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, so definitely I think the first well, one I would say would be entrepreneurial. So I don't say entrepreneur because I've never started my own company, but I've worked with entrepreneurs my entire career. And a lot of the work I've had to do has been a little bit like being in a, in a new venture, in an entrepreneurial venture, because we have to find funding and figure out strategies and kind of, you know, wear all the hats and that kind of thing. So um, so entrepreneurial is definitely something that that's would be the first thing that comes to mind there. Um, second, I think um, I would say empathy. So I think I have a lot of empathy kind of in the traditional sense, but also in a little bit in the design thinking sense of trying to think through what different people, um, you know, how different people experience things and how they use different technologies. You have to be able to think through that. If I'm working with going from company to company, um, helping different people and, you know, helping someone make a medical device to a game to, you know, rocket fuel, whatever it is, you have to be able to put yourself in those shoes and in different shoes for all of that. So I think that's really important. Um, there's a lot of alliteration here. So the third one is ecosystems. Um, it's always been done a lot of work um, and enjoy in kind of the, both in the building ecosystems, kind of that ecosystem concept of everybody is connected. No, even though one company might be working on their own, you have to be able to work together, right? It's the companies working together and supporting each other and figuring out where the synergies lie is, um, is always important and in, in, in my job I know we'll talk about that being that sort of the a connector as much as possible and kind of helping to make some of that helping to grow 
the ecosystems are always is always an important thing. Um, I'll say thoughtful. I think I, I I try to think through what's needed and be kind of be, be careful and and you know um, kind of regimented and and operational, I guess. And how you move forward and how you put things in place, you have to be be thoughtful on how you approach a lot of things when you're working with with other people's companies and you know things that they're things that are important to them. You have to make sure you're you're kind of keeping a lot of things in mind um, for that. And lastly, I'll say adaptable. So it's always been working somewhere that's um, fast paced. You have to switch from you know the the fun stuff of working with entrepreneurs, learning about a new AR, VR technology, whatever it is, to when I need to go design a flyer for an event we have coming up or set up the Zoom link or, you know, kind of being being adaptable to learn different things and, and kind of work in all aspects of of the of the company, of the organization. So um, hopefully that made sense. I don't know. If- oh, it absolutely does. And honestly, I would... I would say you are all of those words for sure. For as long as I've known you. And when I first met you, it was over at UCF when you were a part of the i program, I believe. I don't know what your uh, career story is, but I know you're going to be sharing that with our listeners. But I've always found you, the word out of those five that I would pick the most about you is thoughtful. Mm. And I'll tell you why. So I think that you spend a great amount of time getting to know each one of us that's mm-hmm. a part of this influence program, or if it was with i that you're very thoughtful in how you're bringing together resources that um, can help us. And you're still always so consistent about mm-hmm. giving us encouragement that's like in real time and what we need. So, yeah. You yeah, know. I think I really appreciate that. That's that makes, makes me feel good. And, you know, and I, I thought about putting optimistic in there because I always try and think on the positive side of things. And so, but I think that kind of goes along with, with thoughtful. Hopefully, so I agree. I absolutely agree, agree with you. So what has your career journey been like? Where did you go to school? If you went to college, pretty sure mm-hmm. the answer is yes. And I'm going to guess you probably even have a master's, but I don't know. You're going to tell me. And then, you know, how did you end up to where you are now? Yeah, so I so I did go to college. I do a master's uh, from from UCF. So good, uh, you're definitely right there. Um, so I so when I went into college, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, so I really had no idea, and I bounced around a bit. And actually, I'll I'll I'll, I'll take a quick step back and say so when I was just when I was growing up, my parents were very entrepreneurial without thinking about themselves being entrepreneurial. So they owned three or four businesses. They owned a laundromat, a video store before Blockbuster was around. So I spent I would spend weekends at my parents' video store, um, watching movies and playing the original Nintendo and Super Nintendo in the in the back room and things like that. So they were um, so so they were entrepreneurial, but for them it was just they didn't want to they wanted to work for themselves and they didn't think about it. You know that I never heard the word entrepreneur I think until I went to college. So it wasn't about that, but. Um, but I think that that has some something to do with with kind of where I ended up. Um, but on the education side, so when I went to so I went to school, I grew up in Florida in Jacksonville, went to UCF for college, and I had no idea what I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to be an engineer. I was always good at math and science in school, so I spent a couple of years as an industrial engineering major at UCF. Jumped around to forensic science, uh, ended up with uh, double majoring in business and marketing and finance. 
for undergrad and then got an MBA. Um, That's at, crazy. Oh, UCF. Yeah. So it was, it was weird because when I was in, when I was finally graduating, so I took, it took me six years to get through undergrad because of all of the jumping around that I did. And so, but then one year to do grad school. So I kind of slowed down through undergrad and sped up through grad school. But, um, you know, when I was going through all my final, you know, when my counselors would look at my transcript as I was graduating, all my electives for business school were calculus and physics and chemistry because those were all the prereqs I did when I was an engineering major for a couple of years. So I had no room to kind of add in electives and that kind of thing. So it was, I had a really interesting transcript um, coming out, but I just, I, I, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, and I kept kind of jumping around. And, you know, if there's one thing I could say is I, I wish, you know, if I knew then what I knew now, I might have stuck with engineering, but then started a company. Would have been, I could see you as an engineer, honestly. Yeah. Out of everything you said, I would have said engineer, because mm -hmm. your personality is very similar to other engineers. My dad is an engineer, and he was a mechanical engineer. And you strike me as that same type of personality. Yeah. So, and, you know, I, I mean, I, I think I might have... <laughs> up there um but i just i didn't have a good sense of what when i was you know in my in you know sophomore year engineering classes i didn't get have a sense of what i tried to picture myself in a career of industrial engineering or mechanical engineering and i couldn't picture what my day-to-day -day life would be like you didn't and all have I could, the opportunity to go shadow or no see i didn't i didn't have any of that i didn't see anything like that i didn't i, I didn't seek it out as much as i probably should have but i didn't i just I never felt a good connection. I just, you know, my, my vision in my head was I, I'm going to sit in the lab and do calculations all day. And that wasn't quite interesting to me. But, you know, knowing what I know now, entrepreneurial, starting a, starting a company, I probably would have ended up there. But your parents had... were entrepreneurs. Yeah, a little bit. But they were they were very, but not in the technology sense. So franchise they owned a, type. Right? Yeah. Like franchise type. And it was, you know, it was just more of I don't want to work for someone else and but it wasn't about, you know, new technologies, even though in some cases it was because, you know, they, they actually owned a little, um, you know, back when you had to get film developed, they had a little kiosk in a strip mall where they would develop film. And so they had, we had a bunch of cameras around the house at the point, you know, my dad would fix up cameras and stuff like that, but it was all, but he, he's not an engineer. My parents didn't, my mom graduated from college and my dad didn't, but anyway. So, so are you an only child? I am an only child. Yeah. Okay, so there's a lot of dots that are connecting inside of my head. So it also kind of explains because you're describing a life where you were with your parents a lot. Mm -hmm. So I'm going, okay, there must not have been a sibling there. And then, you know, your parents are, you get exposed to a lot of different um, industries, not mm -hmm. necessarily career paths, but industries and the products that they may have provided or services. So yours were more product focused, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it sounds as if, yeah, because it wasn't traditional entrepreneurship, more of a franchise, a, a, a cookie cutter type of a, an experience. But you had it and it's what you've circled back to. But being an advisor and um, many times a mentor and just mm. somebody that gets us on the right path, you're like Yoda. 
That's a, that's a pretty good compliment. Well, I mean, yeah, so the way I think about it, the way I've talked about kind of where I've ended up is sort of the business of technology, which makes sense. I yeah. think to me, where I, my interest, where I started school and kind of where I'm at now is sort of the, the business side of technology and kind of winding through all that. Because it was, you know, after school, I worked at UCF helping, working with faculty who were spinning companies out into, or spinning technologies out into companies and then working with companies in the ecosystem and bringing new, being a little bit of an entrepreneur and bringing new programs to the, to the university and finding funding for it, doing some of the same stuff now at the corridor. So it's, it's like you have a safety net because you get exposed to all of the, the pain, mm-hmm. the joy, the, the tears, the, we'll say joy, because <laughs> we got to yeah. balance it with pains and tears, <laughs> but my goodness, you, you know, you can live vicariously through the things that everybody's doing and end up being a part of it. Yeah, no, it's great seeing so many different, you know, seeing so many different industries and, you know, you, I mean, you get exposure to all of the things that can come up and the obstacles. And it's different for everybody. It's still different from doing it, you know, from, you know, the entrepreneur, they're the ones living it and doing it. I'm kind of, like you said, living vicariously. I'm kind of, sitting on the edge, rooting for him, being a cheerleader and trying to help work through the, work through the obstacles as best as best as possible. So, um, I mean, it is a great, you know, it has some great advantages, but then, you know, you spend, so entrepreneurs are so optimistic and you have to be right. You're, you have to push through, you have to push through all that, you know, everything, everybody has those, that point or those points where you're not sure if it's going to work out and you're down. So you have to, you come to, you know, groups like ours to help kind of get through that part but so like we're always kind of the yin to the yang of who the entrepreneurs are when you're really you know you have to think this is going to change the world and it's part of a big part of our job is saying yes but have you thought about x y and z so it's trying to help uncover some of those things that the entrepreneurs may not be might not be top of mind to make sure they're thinking about it so they can overcome it when it gets there mm-hmm. and part of that mindset i think you know leads me to like if I if I have plenty of ideas to start companies over over you know over the years and it's one of those things that my focus tends to go towards okay what are those obstacles to overcome and then it's not always the I'm gonna change the world part it's the right because I I'm in the sense of trying to pull back entrepreneur not pull back but be a little bit realistic for entrepreneurs and you kind of have to you know learn to modulate that with who you are. Mm-hmm. Have you been, without naming any names of companies or whatever, have you been uh, a part of any of these companies? Like, did anybody give you equity or have you as an, a part of the board of advisors or say, yes, we want to pay you? Yeah, no, I mean, so there have been companies that have, where they will come in and we'll help them and they'll say, you know, I you know, we would want to give you equity, but I've never taken equity in any of the companies that we work with because it's always part of the programs where we don't you know like our mission is not to whether it was at UCF a corridor is not to take equity right because then that can because then you kind of when you're acting as part of the company then you're more of an investor and less of an advisor right so a little bit of a different mentality you you know and it's just not and for legal reasons like it's very complicated yeah it's a conflict of interest yeah, there's a ton of conflict of interest there. And, you know, we, you know, we, I mean, we did explore, there are university programs that will take equity to support, to do the coaching for companies and for staffs. 
in the role that we had. Mm-hmm. We explored that at different times, but it's just, you have to have a universe. And this is nothing against UCF. I think it's, I think it's really rare when this happens, but you have to have the right kind of risk mentality for a university to be able to deal with the conflict of interest and all of that. And that's not something that, you know, many universities or many groups like that will want to deal with. And it can, it can lead to some tricky things when you're coaching a company. Mm-hmm. I agree. Is yeah. the UCF i still around? I believe so. Yeah. So um, it, it's gone through some iterations because i at the National Science Foundation level um, has made some, has gone through some changes, but um, last I looked, yeah, I believe I haven't been involved in a few years, but, um, but I believe it's still around. Yeah. They still have cohorts that go through and help companies go through um, the, the whole customer discovery process. Yeah. I love that program. And I just want to get, you know, make sure that we give it a shout out because as you said, i is a part of the national science foundation. It came with a small little bit of money, $2,500 when I was in it. And it was a five week long program. And it was intense though. There was a mm-hmm. book we had to read. I can honestly say I read half. Can't say I read the whole thing. Um, had to keep up with doing 10 in-person interviews a week for four of those weeks. So we came back with real data that said, yes, people want this or no, they didn't. And if it was no, then how were we going to uh, pivot and make it more, more of what would be a good customer market fit? I learned so much from that program. I would tell you it's kind of beat out a lot of the other programs that I was in because it was fast paced. It required that we do customer discovery, even starter studio. um, At the time we had to go out and do customer discovery as part of the business model canvas, which was similar to what you guys were doing, but it still, it still was harder because the accountability every week of coming back and saying, okay, this was my report for the week was um, intense. Yeah, no, it's a great, I mean, it's a great mindset to have. It's a great tool to have. And I, I think, you know, what that program does and what it kind of shows you is if you have to get out of your, if you get out of your comfort zone a little bit, mm-hmm. it just you to, it kind of forces you to learn, which is what you need to do. Yep, absolutely. Could not agree more. So I love the program. I'm glad to hear that it seems to be around still. And so now you're over here with, and let's talk about what, the Florida High Tech Corridor is and what the Simfluence program is. Uh, so what is Florida High Tech Corridor? So, so our listeners know. Yeah, so Florida High Tech Corridor, we're a, it's an economic development initiative. It's funded through um, the state of Florida. And so it's basically, a, it started as a partnership with the three major research universities. So UCF, USF, and UF. And so we covered 23 counties. If you think Orlando, Tampa, up to Gainesville, everything in between. Um, and it's really about supporting and growing the the technology um, technology industry, supporting technology entrepreneurs and, and sectors within those 23 counties. So um, there's a lot of ways that we do that. So Synfluence is kind of is one initiative of the corridor, and it was um, a partnership of the corridor and Orange County government. Um, is how it started, and it's really providing direct services and support for some growing and emerging technology clusters within Central Florida. So people think of Central Florida as, you know, tourism and Disney and things like that. There's space, there's simulation and training. 
Um, and so what Synfluence did was take some of the resources of the corridor and, and, and the, the kind of the, the history and the foundation of the corridor to support for technology clusters. And so those are um, energy and environmental sciences, learning sciences, human performance, life sciences, and gaming, entertainment, and esports technologies, and provide some foundational resources to help companies within those four clusters grow, um, connect with other resource, other resources, because entrepreneurs tend to be as they should, heads down, working on the company, trying to build the company, whatever you can do. And so what Synfluence, what the corridor want to do is sort of be able to be an extra pair of eyes and ears for the companies to help them look for funding opportunities, business opportunities, um, you know, connections within the region. Um, we want to help be that kind of Switzerland to connect industry and university collaborations. So are there ways we can connect the, with the research happening at the universities to industry and then connect people who might not always talk. So are there ways we can use gaming technologies, people doing really good work there for use in life sciences or in energy, for instance. So are there ways we can help make those connections because we're trying to take that kind of bigger picture view of what the region needs and what the, you know, what some of those industries need. Mm -hmm. I have really been so grateful for the program and I'm going to give a shout out to Paul and to yeah. Amy, and they've all said yes to being on the show at some point. I'm going to see if I can squeeze mm -hmm. Paul into this year. Um, <laughs> but what's so great about the program is it's given me a lot of exposure to things that are available globally, nationally, mm -hmm. statewide, in our own backyard here. I've been able to, um, because I have two companies that are a part of it, I've been able to go to conferences. It's helped me save money. I'm just, you can use all of this as part of the uh, endorsements. Yeah, yeah. And it's all being recorded. So you'll get it as a snippet. But it's been able to ha help save me money because I've been able to get into conferences without having to pay either a fee to exhibit or you know a reduced fee. That's really helpful. And then just um, really good connections and, and access to you and Amy, to be honest, because you guys are just two people helping. Let's see, what was it? You now hit over 100 members? Yeah, we have 103 companies as of this morning. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Hope you're doing okay. Yeah, no, we're hanging in there. We're doing good. So you should consider this then, the Simfluence program, you and Amy are the founders of it, and you've had to grow this, and we're part of the inventory that you have been collecting, and then you're still having to market it. So yeah, you kind of have an entrepreneur, um, both you and Amy are entrepreneurs for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it takes an entrepreneurial mindset, I think, to grow programs like this from the ground up because you have to sort of oh, yeah. eat, eat, like you and your company you kind of have to wear all the hats at some point you have to get creative and you know work on a budget so it's all that's fun mm -hmm. it, the thing that I was saying to uh, somebody else is <laughs> this is the hardest thing I have ever done in my whole life because you know I've had like parents that, uh, you know, my mom was really sick. I've, you know, had deaths in family. I've had, you know, all kinds of drama that comes with just being a person, right? Um, mm -hmm. I don't always share all my personal stuff out there. But the point of that is, is this is a choice. 
that somebody mm. continues to make as an entrepreneur to keep pushing through, just like you were saying, be a cheerleader for us. Cause it was like, Oh my God, I don't want to do this anymore. And then, you know, we'll talk with, you know, somebody else. It could be a fellow founder of another company, or it can be, you know, talking with you guys and you, you help us say, okay, now come on. You know, why did you do this? Yeah. Do you really believe this? So like, you know, pull up your pants. Yeah. Let's go. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we want to be the, you know, we want to help on the, the tactical piece, but it's always, you know, we're, we're, we are coaches kind of first and foremost and seeing how we can help and support just being, again, being that extra, the extra eyes and the ears because, you know, everybody needs that. And that's what we try to try to be. Try to focus mm. on. Well, you guys do a good job of it too. Yeah. I just want to tell you that. I appreciate it. And I know so many others in the program that have said the same thing. So yeah. hopefully you're hearing that. Yeah, I appreciate that. No, it's good. It's good to hear. And it's, you know, you know, our success, you know, we're successful if you're successful. Mm -hmm. So that's really our only focus is how can we help our help companies, <laughs> with, you know, be the, grow as fast as they can be the best they could be or achieve what they want to achieve. And so if you're successful. That's all that matters to us. So. So we're going to have some fun questions over here. Um, you mentioned games. So mm -hmm. what is your favorite game and what kind of a gamer are you? Yeah. So my, so, I mean, I've worked with a lot of, you know, indie game companies and know a lot of people that make indie games. So I would love to, you know, I wish my answer to this question was there was like the obscure indie game that, it, you know, that I could talk about my favorite game, but really my favorite game is The Last of Us. I Just don't know that game. So it's a it's on PlayStation. It's a PlayStation exclusive, I think. Um, but it's so it sounds kind of cliche. It's a zombie game. So there's a so there's a you know it's a it, there's an apocalypse. There's a virus that breaks out and uh, um, that, that takes over the world. So the game is you getting through this new world twenty years after there's this virus that breaks out. But basically, what's so interesting about it is that. Like, I think whether or not you're playing the game or if someone was just watching you play it, the story is so engaging that you could watch the game and be just as engaged as if you're playing it. So what, what's unique to me is, is how the story, how they, how much detail they put into the story is, they put more detail into the story, more thought into the story than the gameplay almost. So they really do a good job of balancing gameplay and story. And it really does kind of engage you right there's plenty of examples of you know these large games that turn into movies that are just bad movies or even you know books turn into movies that are bad books because you build that entertainment for that medium whereas this game it's i feel like they are and they're making it into a, a tv series but i feel like they built it just to be entertainment and not just as a game if that makes sense i don't know it's just a really engaging story gameplay and everything i, I that's my favorite series there's a part one and part two What's the name of it again? The Last of Us. So it's a, it's a first person kind of action game. <laughs> um, so it's a long game to, to finish. And it's, you know, the, the, you know, essentially there's this virus that takes over. So the, the creators got um, inspiration from, I think it was, there's like a mushroom fungus mm -hmm. that takes over certain animals. And so it'll, It'll like infect you and then start to grow all over. And I forgot the animal that they saw is happening on, but they just kind of said, what does happen to humans? So it's, there's a fungus that takes over. And so it kind of turns people into zombie like creatures almost, but 
Um, it's a PlayStation but, game? Yep, it's a PlayStation game. Oh, okay. So, but yeah, the the story is just really, so they they take some risks, They but they really just tell a good story, I think. Mm-hmm. And take angles and, you know, you know, they, they do some stuff that's kind of controversial in terms of like how they tell it, I think, but um, they, if you play through both parts, you see the story from a few different angles and it's just really interesting, I think. Hmm. Okay. Well, I'm going to go, uh, they've got some trailer videos, so I'm going to go check them out after the show. So what is the hardest lesson that you've learned in life that actually changed your life? I have a feeling you're going to tell me it's the fact that you couldn't decide what your major was going to be. And you were the six-year plan, not the five-year, you said six-year plan. But I, you know, I think that was money well spent, honestly, because you don't want to have to go back and go, oh God, I didn't know what I was going to be either. I think that's normal, to be honest. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I think it's okay to go into, to go into college and not know what you want to do. I think you, you, you need to have some, I mean, the financial aspect of it makes it difficult, but, you know, it's okay to, to, to want to explore and try to figure out what, you know, what it is you want to do. And so, um, you know, I mean, I think, you know, and that's probably, well, so I'll, so I'll, I'll actually, change it up a little bit on, on a lesson I think that and I don't know I'm going to change the question a little bit I don't know if it's the hardest lesson but I think it's an important lesson that I've learned that's fine you get to change that, it it's fine that took me a little bit that took me a little while to kind of to materialize but I think it it helps a lot and that is so if I'm you know in, in a personal relationship or in a you know business relationship I think if you can always be a little proactive and thinking of think ahead on how can I help is there something I can do to help this person I'm talking to or I'm working with and and not just waiting for them to ask but if there's something where you can offer up hey can I do this can I do that thinking of how you can be a resource for someone else always comes back threefold right because then if you do need something you know, then you don't, it's not that you would feel bad asking for help or anything like that, but it's, if you have that mindset of how can I help, how can I help? And you actively look for that. I think it, it, it builds your personal network, your business network, and it just, you feel better and, and, and everything just comes back, you know, you know, like I said, threefold. So having, but it's hard to stay in that mindset because it can be tiring, mm-hmm. but that's, you know, if I'm, it, and, you know, and I tend to be, a little bit introverted probably or a little bit just quiet i'm more of a listener than a talker in most cases yeah this and, is a lot of talking for you yeah so but that's but that 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 mindset of thinking of that being proactive okay what could is there something i can do to help this person or this situation that helps one helps me helps bring that out of me on that side but also just helps kind of build up you know you be a better person and kind of helps personally professionally i think so Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That was, um, I think what's really hard for introverted processors and communicators. I don't know if it's necessarily, I would consider it the personality type, even though it falls under that is the fact that they have to get out of their comfort zone and engage with people that exhaust them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's, you know, you know, do you, get energy from going and interacting with a lot of people or do you get home and you're exhausted 
right? So it's, I get my energy from people yeah. and from conversations. Part <laughs> of what I've had to learn how to adapt is to um, say something, say mm. it the first time, not repeat it using a different example or the third time because I lose them or ramble. Right. That takes so much energy inside of me to communicate with more of an introverted communicator and processor so that I can meet them where they are instead yeah. of just being me, <laughs> which is sometimes just, and we're all a hot mess. So, you know, it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what are you most grateful for then? It sounds like it would have been your parents that have said, Hey, Jack, yeah. You go and try anything you want. My parents did that. They said, try everything while you're in college. That's your one window. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and I, I mean, that's, that's exactly my, my answer is I'm grateful for, you know, my parents and kind of the family I grew up in. I mean, I, I had great role models of my parents. They're very hardworking down to earth, but they're always honest with me. I mean, I think, you know, they were, they were just because I saw them working so hard and kind of struggle through a lot of the companies they had to start and kind of deal with that. I think that, you know, that left a lot to me. My parents were very different people. <laughs> they had different personalities. And I think I pulled from each of them a little bit and kind of learned from them. But I think having them, having them as a, you know, role model as I grew up meant a lot. Cause I think, you you know, you can, some people are surprised when they hear my only child, just cause like, you, I think only children can kind of go a couple different ways. And mm -hmm. I went the, I'm pretty independent, so I think that's a good thing, and I get that from my parents. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Is your, I'm curious, I've never met your wife. Is she mm -hmm. an introverted processor or in communicator? Is she more like you, or is she polar opposite? No, she, yeah, she, she's not a polar opposite. I think we're, we're fairly similar. Um, but she had a larger family than I did, so she had three siblings. And, um, so, yeah, I mean, we're, we're more alike than we are opposites. Gotcha. Anyway, well, we're going to take a moment and acknowledge our sponsor, Cat5 Studios, and we'll be right back. The Intern Whisperer is brought to you by Cat5 Studios, who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world. Visit Cat5 Studios for more information to learn how Cat5 Studios can help your business. Thank you, Cat5 Studios. And we're back to the second half of our show. And our guest is Jack Henkel. And we're talking about the future of jobs and industries in 2030. One of the best things I think about your job, I said this to also Brian Cornfield with Synapse Florida. I said, you get exposed to everything. So you can see what entrepreneurs are thinking about. And okay, what's the coolest thing you've seen so far out of these 103 companies that are a part of Synfluence. Oh man, what's the coolest thing? What well, so I would be a little disappointing. So it's hard for me to to pinpoint one thing. So okay, so, so one of the coolest things is just seeing how uh, when you get really. So I'm not going to get. There's not a one specific example, but when you get really smart people together that build technologies, it's really awesome to see how they can just go off in a million directions that I never would have thought about. Mm -hmm. Right. Like when you get people together who do simulation and training with life sciences, like for the, the, some of the game jams, seeing what people come up with is just amazing and, and really, really fascinating. And so, I mean, you know, in, you know, throughout the years, we've, you know, uh, 
just seeing how creative people can be. I mean, so, okay. So some of the coolest stuff is really seeing how, um, you know, from my years at UCF to now, even like 3D printing has, how far that's come. Mm-hmm. Now I think that's right. You see like Limitless at UCF is doing some really fascinating stuff. Mm-hmm. A couple of companies are combining 3D printing with um, sort of augmented reality or digitalizing uh, like MRIs and x-ray scans for to do surgery planning, surgical planning. Mm-hmm. And so, because I work with companies at UCF that did that, and now there's new companies we work with now that have different versions of that technology and seeing where that's grown. And so, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of these technologies have more, there's more of a potential for personalization, whether it's personalized medicine, personalized entertainment, personalized meeting the personal preferences or needs of individuals or smaller and smaller groups is going to, you know, is really going to change a lot of the way we do things, I think. Mm-hmm. Some of the things I, I like to scroll through like World Economic Forum and mm-hmm. then also just, you know, cool stuff. I think that's what it's called. And I've seen some things that are um, balls of water. Mm-hmm. So they're transportable and they're in the, the thinnest bit of film, but you pop it in your mouth and it's a like a little glass of water. And then I saw this because the movement is to get away from plastic and Mm -hmm. there's somebody that just said these are cool because it's like everyday stuff and it makes so much sense they have um instead of having those pods and plastic containers for doing your laundry they have like a dryer sheet but it's got the the right amount of cleaning solution in it and you wash your clothes and then they've got pellets of toothpaste so you can get away from having you know, whatever. And then in the grocery store at, uh, well, not the grocery store at target, they were selling, um, deodorant in paper containers that's recycled. I sit here and I think, why aren't we all doing these things? Why is it that that is not the norm when we have all of this stuff that's going to, you know, the trash industry and taking up our land and consuming our waters and, and, you know, polluting our air. And I just sit here and I go, those are the things we need. Maybe it's not everything that, do we need flying cars? Those are cool. But how about if we just take care of the planet? Those are the things I look for. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's the practical stuff that can <laughs> change your day-to-day life. That is really- and change the world. Yeah, absolutely. Because it, it's those small things that can make big changes that, that really, I mean, especially, you know, I mean, you look at where, you know, we're here in Florida, you know, we just, you know, you have hurricanes that can come and impact part, big parts of the coastline. And so it's how can you prevent, maybe there are small things, like how do you get, you know, like you said, water to some of those places, or how can we have batteries? It's not a small thing, but like energy storage, right? Do we have, are there ways we can get smaller and smaller batteries that are more efficient to just hold more energy to help power us when we have to go off grid for longer periods of time? One of the great things that happened because of COVID is it shut down the transportation industry. Planes weren't flying. There wasn't as much traffic on the roads, not as much traffic even on the waterways. And, and it made an effect that helped make like the rainforest begin to go, oh, we could see that there could be a restoration. And then we could see that, oh my gosh, there was 
even the way that the whales, they were swimming in the ocean. It was like, so encouraging, like yeah. we need Jurassic Park, but not really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes, I mean, yeah, there's always unintended, you know, positive and negative consequences to a lot of things. But yeah, but I mean, I think, I mean, the, the, some of the amazing technologies, the stuff that, that sometimes really catches my attention is just like simple solutions to everyday problems can be almost just as fascinating as like the biggest VR and I know um, Adam, you know, the one that's the rocket scientist that does flips, you know, mm -hmm. I, I really like that kid a lot. And I yeah. sit here and I go, but he's created something that, you know, goes to outer space and it saves, you know, fuel yeah. and it's all kinds of amazing. And I sit here and go, who thinks of this kind of stuff? But it's the same person that created the little pellets of toothpaste. So you don't have to have the tubes of toothpaste anymore. I it's I don't get it. Anyway, I feel like there should be more of a focus on solving those problems to see bigger impact. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, you know, um, the, yeah, I mean, solving everyday problems and the environmental sustainability pieces. I mean, that's something <laughs> actually at the, at the quarter we're, we're, we're trying to, we're working on a big, um, NSF proposal for coastal and environmental resilience. Yeah, I saw that. I was reading through this influence news today and I was yeah. going, wow, look at all of those things that are, you know, like environmental and anything that's environmental, I can always get behind. I wish I was as, because I thought, why didn't I think of creating, a, you know, a, it looks like a dryer towel, but a washer, yeah. you know, thing that just disintegrates in the water and then you don't, and it's just in a cardboard box and it's not like, this big and on the shelves and oh my gosh crazy so you raise something that you just said a couple of a minute ago and it's about ethical dilemmas mm -hmm. we, we have these good things that we can have and then we I don't mm -hmm. know if everybody when we're creating stuff if we're thinking about the pros and the cons of the consequences of of creating something yeah yeah, I mean, there's always, I mean, yeah, there's, yeah, there's, there's, you know, it's impossible to think through, for, for you to think as you're creating something, but all of the, the future impacts, right? Like you, a, a, a butterfly flaps its rings, what are all the consequences of that? Right. right. Like you don't know that, but it's also, it's, you know, um, I don't think you should be, you don't always have to be expected to think through that because otherwise you could kind of be paralyzed by what are all the good and bad possibilities and never create anything so yeah uh, doesn't mean you can't think of of the big impacts one way or the other and you know um you know i mean particularly now with data you know data sharing and privacy and all that i mean you need to keep all that in mind but um well yeah. that's really interesting because the tip of the week that was pre-recorded before you came in was about data i'm pretty sure you may have seen it i don't know if you saw it but it was talking about that the pace the technical Technology industry is on pace to exceed $5.3 trillion in 2022 alone. Just that's so much money that's out in the world. And they're looking at how they can, how is that impacting job growth and opportunities? So 89.7% of big data was generated in the last two years during mm -hmm. COVID. 
and, and it has to be so much because so many people were working online. There's been so much more advancements in these past two years to identify, uh, you know, create more automations, but also ways to sell to people that are all online, right? I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. And so by 2025, the data center spending for AI processors is expected to go 4X. And I went, that's crazy. That is just, and is anybody thinking, so that makes it 89.8 billion. It's forecasted to hit that, but you know, we're at, there's a little bit something wrong with that because it's saying 5.3 trillion in 2022 and then 89.8 billion, which is, you know, opposite, but that's specifically in the AI market, whereas it was, you know, all technology. Anyway, the point of all of that is I sit here and I think, but is anybody going and thinking, what are the pros and the cons of what we do here? You know, because there is now, uh, I've seen a shift in move, uh, movement where people are um, having to say, yes, they accept all the cookies or they can say no. And that there's giving the consumer more um, of a choice mm-hmm. and what it is that they're agreeing to in terms, because typically we just click terms and we just go, Okay, we yeah. just gave our life away, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, how many how many of those agreements do you actually read versus just scroll, 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 scroll to the bottom and click yes, accept? I mean, I would say it's like ninety eight percent of Americans, yeah. probably. I don't know. Maybe it's global. Yeah, exactly. I mean, because you you know you're you want to use that service, and so it's you know, so like with the more you know, with devices are getting better more things are being digitized, more things are being personalized, there's just more data available. And so, it, but, but as there's more data, I think it's harder to understand how all that's being used, mm-hmm. right? When it, when, when it was just some search engines and you, under, you would understand they would, you know, Google kind of knew what, what you searched and they would serve up ads to you based on that. But now, you know, there's probably, um, I mean, there's services out there where you can go through and see how many, how many cookies you're or, or attached to your computer and seeing, you know, what kind of data you're sharing from your phone and all this kind of stuff. So we just don't know how it's being used. And so I think mm-hmm. being able to understand that would help. I'm not, and I, I'm not saying that means that it doesn't necessarily scare me that those things are being used and it makes my life easier. I'm, I'm for it. That's good. But, you know, it just, it would help to just understand having more information about how all is being used would be helpful and kind of useful, I think. Yeah. And I think it's going to be, well, I'm confident it's people way smarter than me that would be looking at that. But I think it's important for all of us as just consumers and mm-hmm. as people that we should be asking those questions. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like, um, you know, like everybody needs financial literacy when you're in school, having kind of internet and data literacy is almost as important. You know, that's, you're just proposing something new now. There you go. Yeah. Having data literacy, that would be a really good thing because we need to be cyber aware. We need to be data aware. There's just all kinds of, that could be a new job, data, <laughs> data analysts, but, you know, are helping people protect their data. Honestly. Wow. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. that's a new career path. Okay. Well, <laughs> We're over here. Have you seen anybody that's created any robots just by chance? I'm curious. Um, I've, we've seen some. I mean, at, at, so at um, at ITSEC, the and I'm going to push the yeah. acronym, the the <laughs> Interim 
it's inter-service and I want to say it's, I know it's inter-service, but um, I don't know. We'll throw international, but inter-service training and simulation education. Yeah. So the largest simulation and training conference in the world, there's 20, 30,000 people in Orlando every year. I mean, you see some, some pretty amazing. I go to it every year. Yeah. So there's, I mean, there's some great examples there of people doing some really creative things with, uh, with robotics, whether it's the Boston Dynamics robot. I saw. Oh, I love those. Of that kind of walking around the show floor last time. Um, I, I mean, I was, you know, there's, but even down to kind of more basic robotics of, um, I was talking to a company the other day who has got funding from the government to build a robotic tourniquet. So if you think like the like a, defib a, a defibrillator, right? You have those first aid stations at schools and all over the place. Mm -hmm. If you have a big accident where you have to, you know, someone gets a major cut in the leg or an arm, you have to tourniquet that. That's actually really hard to do. And so there's a device you just stick it on someone's arm or leg, and it does it. Those robotics and it, do it automatically. Wow. And so it's so it's even like the simple simple implementations of like that kind of thing I think are fascinating. You know what they could do with something like that? Not only could it it could go around whatever the the limb mm -hmm. is and you know work as the tourniquet. It could also regulate um, maybe even per provide, you know, measure, okay, does this person have any allergies? Can we give them medication right now, right through this device? It could do something like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, yeah. How, how can you expand on that? You know, that, that simple application. I mean, there's, it, it, so this isn't exactly robotics, but that there's a really interesting example of somebody. So if you Google, if you look up, there's a business model competition, it's a collegiate competition for, um, for students, that have technologies to go through that kind of the customer discovery process. And I, mm -hmm. I had a competition in Seattle a few years ago um, with a student team and the team that won that year had developed, he basically called a Fitbit for pigs. Mm. So there, it, it's a really, you can see his presentation online. It's really interesting about how it just started as a device to stop mama pigs from sitting on their babies and, and suffocating them basically. Oh. So it like like that he grew up as a pig farmer or a pig farming family and it was just a device to to stop that from happening that would basically kind of give a little nudge to the model pig when it would detect certain sounds from the baby pigs. So he measured the the, the right pitch and the right frequency of, of baby pigs, but then that turned into oh well if you have that on the model pig can you measure heart rate can you measure for preventative diseases and it just turned into this kind of almost Fitbit health device for pigs. But it was really fascinating to see him, really interesting seeing him to talk through, this is where I started, customer discovery, this is where I ended up. And it's kind of that, so it's not robotics, so it's a little bit off topic, but it's that kind of. No, but it's interesting. And I'm going, now why is it that they were interested in pigs? Pigs and chickens, because they're smaller animals that more people can put, you know, and, and produce as food yeah. uh, or whatever. But yeah, maybe, I don't know. But hmm. that that thought process, but I mean, I mean, you you can take that to simplistic robotics all the way up to the really complicated stuff. It's just like how can we solve, start with the solve the basic problems and then kind of build from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's a device out there to help parents with, uh, you know, sudden death syndrome too with their kids. I'm pretty sure I've seen something like that. So 
Well, we're at the end of our show here. Best mentoring advice that you want to share with our listeners? Um, so be so two things. One is be coachable. Mm-hmm. So listen to advice, you know, take it in. Don't, you know, s- listen first, process, and then react. Mm-hmm. If someone's mentoring you, if, you, if you're talking to someone, they're, they're coming from a place of wanting to help. So it, it's okay. Um, and second is get lots of opinions, but, and then, you know, whether that's through customers, whether that's through partners, friends, family, and distill it. And so this might sound a little counterintuitive. You want to be coachable, but you also don't want to, don't feel like you have to incorporate every piece of feedback you get. Exactly. Look for the big lessons, look for the big picture, listen when people are telling you things, but um, it's ultimately, it still is up to you and you want to incorporate the best of that and internalize it and then use that to move forward. Yeah, very true. It's when doing that customer discovery, if I had seven or eight people telling me all the same thing, then that's the market. That's my product market fit. I can't make everybody happy. Yeah. Otherwise I would be a consulting firm instead of a a scalable product. So like, what's the point? Yeah. Gotcha. So how can people contact you? Um, We usually provide a LinkedIn uh, profile and then we also add a website. Is there any other way that you would like people to reach out to you? Yeah, no, um, uh, LinkedIn's great. I mean, you're, people are free to, to email is probably the best way also to get in touch. So just jack.hinkle at Florida High Tech, but LinkedIn, Tenfluence website, it'll all get to me and the team. So. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and make sure that we have the correct email. You're a brave man. I usually tell people, don't give your personal email, that's for sure, because that, that doesn't go well. But, um, you know, uh, you know, business ones, especially since yours is public record, right? Right. Yeah, it's pretty easy to find my email. If you. Yeah. So it's, it's on the website. It's everywhere. So it's like, ah, you can give it out. It's going to be fine. <laughs> well, Jack, I've really had a good time having you as a guest on the show. I needed to um, be able to have somebody from this program and it's right before Synapse. So I could not be, you know, more excited. We're going to be, even though the show is going to air after Synapse, it's going to be a good reminder as to what it is that, how you contribute to the ecosystem. Your show is actually scheduled to, to go out 1129 right before it's sec. So okay. that's going to be timely. So that'll be good. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was, it was a lot of fun. Oh, I hope so. So I appreciate that. I hope you feel better soon. And I will be seeing you Friday at Synapse and I'm sure at ITSEC and any of the other events that are coming up. Absolutely. Sounds good. We want to thank our sponsor, Cat5 Studios, and thank our production team, video interns, Josue Gonzalez, Gio Vargas, Dina Burks, and Lester Eccles. Our music is by Sophie Lloyd. We want to remind you that Employers for Change is the company that brings this podcast to you, and you can go visit them at www.e4c.tech to learn how you can create real diversity and inclusive culture for your interns and your employees for the future of work. Thank you for supporting The Intern Whisperer by subscribing to our show on Podbean and on your favorite podcast channel.